Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we're going to do our preview of the films supposed to come out in 2021. <laughs> You know, just maybe. You know, maybe. Hopefully. I feel like there should be like a question mark at the end of this this episode title, <laughs> like 2021. Like maybe I don't know. Like so, there's sort of like a best case scenario, which is like the va- people get vaccinated. They're like, it was funny. Like it, it wasn't funny. None of this is funny. Um, but like in again, this was like December. They were saying like, well, if the vaccine gets distributed quickly, you know, and we really start ramping up production and, and people get vaccinated, like we could we could really be back in business by April. And now, like the reports are like someone lost all the vaccine in the Hudson, you know, like or, you know, we have all these vaccines that are about to go bad. Does anyone want a vaccine? And I'm like, is there any plan here? So April may not be as as uh, likely as we thought it would. Um, but here's so, hoping. The Here's kids of hoping. I mean, yes, exactly. I mean, there is hope that, you know, once a new administration gets in there and has people who know what they're doing and actually care about combating the virus, that there will be some sort of response. Um, but until that happens, you know, the, this this we have a release date calendar on Collider and you can check it out. But basically, all these dates that we have are sort of and they're very tentative. I'll put it that way. Like the fact of the matter is, is yeah, chaos walking is scheduled for March 5th. I would not bet on going to see chaos walking on March 5th. <laughs> I wouldn't. Well, it, I think the other thing to note though, is that like clearly studios are not going to go all in until there is a vaccine because they tried it with Tenet. They tried it with Wonder Woman. They're, they tried it with news of the world. There've been a handful of titles that were released in theaters, uh, you know, last year between August and December. And they didn't do anything like it. Clearly, people are not showing up to the theater until things are better. And so that's kind of what the studios are waiting on. So it's not just kind of an arbitrary like, oh, we have no idea when things will get delayed until it does very much look like studios are just waiting until that vaccine comes. And then that will hopefully bring the populace back to the theaters and then they're ready to release those movies in theaters. Right. And also, there will be no movie that's sort of like this is the movie that brings people back. Like it, it they were trying that out with like Tenet and it just like it's just not going to happen where it's like. Oh, I was just waiting on the right movie to come back to theaters. Silly me. No, it's people need to not only be vaccinated, but they also need to feel comfortable going back into that enclosed space. Um, Can I offer a counterpoint? Yeah. Morbius, the film that will bring (laughs) everyone together on March 19th. Jared Leto as a vampire. Everyone's like, you know what? Take off the mask. Um, If I die seeing Morbius, I was worth it. It was worth seeing Jared Leto as a vampire. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just it doesn't. It doesn't make a lot. I I feel like there will be a slow trickle, basically. It'll basically be like, you know, a few a handful of people are are comfortable seeing a movie now and then a few more people and then like movies will become like a regular thing. But it'll happen over the course of months, not a weekend. Yeah. And so I feel like. You know, there are movies like I'm looking forward to in 2021, assuming they don't get delayed, but they could easily be pushed back. And I really feel like we're not going to even sort of be approaching anything. I think anything in April, May or June is is overly optimistic and anything in J- January, February, March is just ridiculous. Like that's just asking 
unless it's unless it's like an HBO Max, you know, dual release kind of thing. Like I do believe that everything that's an HBO Max title will hit that date because that's what Warner Brothers has has planned. But and I think that slow rollout rollout kind of makes sense. I mean, if you look at it, the you know, the more populous cities are are a lot slower on the vaccine right now, but the more the less populated cities in in the country, those vaccine rollouts are happening much quicker there. So there are going to be people who are going to feel comfortable and ready in March. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think studios will hedge their bets. Like, I don't know, Morbius seems like a film that like either Sony would push it because they want to, you know, maximize it and make sure they have those New York and L.A. theaters or, you know, they kind of go half and half and go with the PVOD plus a, a theater strategy. Right. I think we'll see some of that. But I, I don't know. The King's Man has been delayed so many times and that's set for March. I feel like that's the kind of film that they may just be like, it's on Hulu now. Just watch it on Hulu. <laughs> like, right. It's been so long. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I mean, something else to keep in mind is contractual obligations. Yeah. Um, that could be always part of the reason. Like like New Mutants was released because of contractual obligations. Like it had yeah. to hit a theatrical release, even though it made way more. If they had probably dropped it on Hulu from the get go, more people would have seen it and talked about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think, you know, I've always had in my mind, it it feels like that Black Widow date at the end of May is a pretty optimistic yet slightly at the beginning of May. Oh, is it the beginning of May? May 7th. Oh, okay. I thought it was the end of May. Never mind me. Um, (laughs) That's I mean, that's still. Yeah, that's a little early, although if things get better at the end of May and it's in theaters, then people can go out and see it. But that felt like a pretty hopeful like and the kind of movie that not that one movie is going to bring everyone together. But, it, you know, people have been so starved for a Marvel movie. Marvel movies consistently make between 600 and a billion dollars, 600 million and a billion dollars each time they go out. So that felt like the kind of movie that would get everyone out and really kind of jumpstart things. But who knows? Yeah, that's the thing. We just we don't know right now. And I wish I wish I had better news. I wish I could say, like, you know, movies are coming back. These are the dates. Let's talk about, you know, X, Y and Z that we're excited for. But ultimately. I, I just I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think Black Widow will hit its date. I think it will have to move again. I don't think it'll be released streaming. Um, well, we should note Variety just came out with a report that um, some of the studios are now considering some shifts in release dates. And in that report, they they cite sources saying that Black Widow could go the sole route. It could go or not wow. not the sole route, but the Raya and the Last Dragon route where it's in theaters, but also a PBOD. So like Mulan. Right. Uh, where like if you want to watch it at home, you have to pay twenty five dollars. Um, they say that Disney is, you know, said, no, that's not happening. Disney also said, no, Soul is not going to streaming. And, it and did then look what happened. Yeah, no, this, but things every, change week to week. So exactly. Everything is in flux. And I think that also like no one like here's the thing. So let's say vaccines start rolling out in a more organized fashion, but we're not to a place where people feel comfortable by May by May but things are happening, then I could see like, well, let's just push it back a month or two. Mm-hmm. And then, cause we're already on track, but right now we're not on track. Yeah. So if like, if when you're like from the standpoint of, of January, 2021, everything looks kind of like nothing is happening. Like, you know, there is a vaccine, but like, it's not getting, you know, distributed in a competent manner. And, you know, the, the also we're, we should also know like 4,000 people are dying every day, which is, horrific and like we just have to kind of force ourselves not to consider the implications of that like what if 9-11 but every day every day 9-11 that 
to me is we can't even like wrap our heads around it. And I, I kind of also want to like, just, I guess, pause to note, like we understand what we're talking about is very silly in the scheme of things. Like this is not the movies will come out eventually. However, we don't give it like, there are obviously more important things happening in the world. This is a silly little show. So I don't want us to like, I don't want anyone to think like, how could you talk about it at a time like this? It's like, this is a stupid show that we do, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I'm not, this isn't meet the press. So, yeah. You know, I, I am aware of the the larger things happening in the world. Yeah, uh, our business is entertainment, and we are talking about, like, what we think is going to happen. But obviously, movies coming out on their planned release dates is far from the most important. <laughs> yeah, it really isn't. Right but we're going to do the show, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and there are movies to look forward to. I mean, 2020 was, in many ways, a lost year. I mean, there was stuff that came out on PBOD. You know, you and I both did top ten lists. We saw a bunch of stuff that we liked. But I think everyone is eager to get back to some sense of normalcy. I don't know if we can ever get back to a, like a normal as it was before. But I think going to the movies in the summertime with a lot of people and enjoying and or having that communal experience is part of that normalcy thing. So I don't even think it's necessarily exactly about like, you know, how excited am I to see Vin Diesel go to space in F9 <laughs> more than how excited am I to have that feeling again where you go on a Friday night and the theater is packed and you're a little nervous if you're going to get tickets and you want to make sure you get them in the right spot and everyone's eating their popcorn and you're watching Vin Diesel go to space, which is super silly and not not something that, you know. What's is funny is, is we're all going to go back to movies. I'm going to instantly remember all the shit I hated about going to the movies. <laughs> Which is like, I like the idea of going to the movies, but I like going to the movie. I'm very spoiled because I go to press screenings where they're like, if we see a phone, we'll kick you out. Yeah. And it's for security purposes. So they don't want the the movie to get bootlegged. Uh, but not like if you like just go on a regular Friday night, there are people like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm using my phone <laughs> all the time. This is my living room. Oh, you just got to bring it down immediately after. I'm like, yay, theaters. Because now I'm like, oh, what if a year of everyone staying home has taught people to be more like they're in their living yeah, room? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. Like theater, you know, the, the, the weirdest thing in all of this about like theater, I really do think that the theaters, like every these major chains will have to, I think they need to rethink how they do business. I really yeah. do. I think that they need to, realize that they are now in serious competition with home viewing and just having movies back isn't going to be enough. Like they need to sort of be like, come to it. Like we're the premium experience, like no phones, no distractions, lose yourself in the movie. Not, Hey, this is your living room and we serve you junk food. Yeah. Yeah. After a year of watching movies in my living room, I am dying for a, like, can't bring your phone out surround sound, dark experience, like dark theater experience. Right. Exactly. So I didn't mean to bring it down, but I also feel like <laughs> I, I feel like consistently theaters like I love the idea of theaters. I also recognize the reality that a lot of theaters come up short um, in terms of like not the indie like art house theaters where people typically know how to behave. But like AMC, Regal, Cinemark, like people like just go and they treat it like their living room. And those theaters have constantly responded with like a shrug. You know, they're like, well, maybe we, they should use their phones, you know, <laughs> like they've just they've never been up to the moment and they've just constantly been pushing back against release windows. And so I feel like I don't know, I feel like especially after last year where people got comfortable watching movies at home, uh, theaters need to up their game. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on your experience. I, I usually don't have a ton of terrible experiences like that, but I definitely have had it. It always feels like every time I go, I have a terrible experience. <laughs> You're just, just spoiled from all those press screens. I am spoiled. I'm in a bubble. I am <laughs> absolutely spoiled. So, you know, and that's the other thing. Like, I feel like, you know, we, you know, we're talking about sort of the blockbusters here, but I'm also kind of wondering, like, indie-wise, you know, what happened. Because... Yeah. So technically, in a couple weeks, you and I are going to are going to Sundance. Um, but you know what it will be is will be streamed at home. And if if I can be brutally honest, like I I kind of miss Sundance, but I'm not like I'm not totally upset about not walking through the snow <laughs> to see <laughs> an indie comedy about a guy going back home again. <laughs> And his quirky family. Yeah, I will say, I, first of all, know how privileged I am to have gone to Sundance all of yeah. these years. And it's a, it's an experience that I relish, but I do think it is a very specific experience. And I'm curious to see how this Sundance at home works. Because, like, there is something to, like, all right, I'm at Sundance. I have time to fill. I'm seeing four movies today. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be bad. Hopefully more, more will be good than bad but I'm doing it and I'm going to this theater and I'm doing this at this exact same time versus I'm sitting at home and I just push play I will, on my computer. Yeah. There's like, oh, this movie wasn't very good. No. And, and I got to say, it definitely does change the complexion because I did TIFF. I, I went, I attended TIFF and it completely changes the complexion. Like there's just no urgent, like part of it is, is that the lineup is different and you know, how many films are you going to see? Like Sundance is going to have fewer films uh, this year. TIFF had fewer films last year. Um, but also it's just like, you know, you're not out and about like the film festival kind of carries you along like a wave. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when you're sitting through like a bad film at home <laughs> at your computer, man, it'll just stop. Like, <laughs> you know, like even if you're watching a bad film at Sundance, you're just like, uh, but like, I don't want to go outside and stand at the tent again. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you're just like, I might as well just sit here and let this happen. Yeah. Um, but, but, and then the, the, the big positive of Sundance is you get out of that screening and so many people have just seen the movie you saw. Right. And, and you're, so you're all talking about like what you saw or like, what have you seen? That's good. Or like, what should I see? And what kind of discovery should I make? So yeah, you're right. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Indies play out this year because it, you know, I don't see, I mean, right now on the calendar, usually it's filled out, especially in the summer, you have your blockbusters, but then like, you know, Fox Searchlight or Focus Features are putting out some like indies here and there to see. I'm curious if after a year of a lot of PVOD stuff, if they just push those straight to PVOD. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's definitely smaller titles that would like definitely play at TIFF, you know, that would be movies that would fit that environment well, but like will... Will the world like where will we will we be where we need to be by September? Yeah, you know, I yeah. think it's possible, but I don't know. You know, it, it's also not. It, it may not happen. So, I mean, what would what would be a real kicker is TIFF is an international film festival, and they just sort of said everyone but United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have a festival that the United States can't come. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that would not happen because we have all the movies, but <laughs> I mean, to that point, we're about to sit through, you know, a momentous Oscars uh, just by virtue of the fact that it's different than it has right. ever been before. There are going to be Oscar movies in January and February. Yeah. So the cutoff is not was not December 31st. The cutoff is the end of February. So that means we're going to see films like Minari and uh, Cherry and Judas and the Black Messiah coming out this month and next month. Which are yeah. 
you know, by and large Oscar contenders. And then the Oscars are in what, April this year? April. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely also that also changes the complexity because it also like there's no I mean, I guess maybe the front runner is Nomadland right now, but it's it's so hard to say, Um, you know, usually by this point in a normal year, like we'd be like, well, first off, we'd have a very clear idea, like the Golden Globes would be coming up and we'd have a very clear idea. They still are coming up, but to Amy Poehler's own admission, she's like, we just have a few questions like what, where, how. When and why? <laughs> <laughs> and and the answer to all of those is money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> money. Um. So, uh, yeah, I feel like in a normal year we'd have like, okay, this is probably the front runner. This is kind of coming up. This, you know, we'd have clear stakes of the race, and that's just obliterated. Uh, because again, Oscar voters also listen to the popul the populace. Yeah, you know, you need kind of a popular film a film with some sort of buzz, it's rare that a film will win Best Picture that no one has seen it. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, it happens. I mean, The Hurt Locker comes to mind, but it's rare. Parasite, I mean, Parasite was a hit in like indie cinemas, but was not like a massive commercial. True. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, not even at the level. I mean, again, that's, you know, the biggest hit of that year was, I think, Joker of the nominees. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it grossed like a billion dollars, but that only ended up winning actor and score. So, yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but it creates this weird, like, when putting together a, like, these are my most anticipated movies of 2021. It's like, well, Nomad Land and Minari were on my top 10 list of 2020. <laughs> right. Even though they're technically 2021 movies, they are counting towards the award season of that. So, it does create a, a, a bit of a strange first couple of months here. Yeah. I mean, it's all just going to be strange and we're all just kind of muddling through. And, you know, I, I feel like, again, we have this release calendar, but I'm just at, at this point, And like you said, there's that variety article. Um, everything's shifting. Everything will shift at some point. And you just kind of wonder how long will the shifting take place? You know, will we will we reach, you know, August, September? And it's being like, we got to move stuff back again. We got to yeah. keep moving stuff back. Or it'll be like, no, no, things have, have largely settled. Um, so because, what are, oh, okay. go ahead. I was going to say like, what are for you? So what are some of the films that are currently on the release calendar that you are excited to see in a theater that you are like, I I hope like when theaters open back up, I really hope this one sticks to its release date and I really hope to see it. Um, yeah. Like I'm very like anything Marvel. I'm like, you know, those are always crowd pleasers. They're the thing about Marvel that like people f- kind of, I think overlook is that it's they're they're comedies essentially like they have a lot of humor and so those are tend to be crowd pleasers um but i've I've also like i've been re-watching the marvel movies and we've only watched iron man and iron man 2 so far but even back in the beginning it's interesting just how watchable those movies are even like iron man 2 which is a bad film Mm -hmm. and like there is not a single character arc in that entire movie because it like structurally it just is a mess, but it's kind of fun to watch. Like you're watching it. Like they're pretty good at making these like kind of breezy watchable movies. Exactly. And I don't think that should be dismissed. Like, yeah, yeah, they're not like the weightiest entertainment in the world, but I think to make films that are consistently entertaining and rewatchable is incredibly difficult. Um, if everyone could do it, they would, and they can't. So yeah. let's not just discount that. Just as um, X-Men dark Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm also really looking forward to, and I really hope we get it, a new Mission Impossible movie. 
Yeah. I, I just want to see, <laughs> I, I got those, those films are just the wow factor. I mean, I'm thinking back to fallout and just yeah. the fact that we can debate, like what was more impressive when Tom Cruise threw himself out of an airplane or when he learned to pilot a helicopter, <laughs> yeah. you know, which of these, which is better, which is the better thing. And it's like, they're in the same movie. It's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, the production value of those are t- tremendous as well because there's so little CGI or or so little CGI aided like effects yes. that are going on there. They're very practical films. And you can feel like the rev of that engine when they get into a motorcycle or a car. It's yeah. not, you know, facial replacement of you Right. Just they're meant to be driver. they're meant to be kind of tactile and, you know, aggressive. Yeah. For sure. What about you? What are you looking forward to? Venom? I mean, I feel like <laughs> <let> there be <laughs> carnage. <laughs> the number of times that it's been delayed, I feel like it's it's losing the football. But like, I want to see a Kerry Fukunaga Bond movie. Like, I just really want to see it. I want yeah. to see No Time to Die. Uh, and it just keeps getting pushed back. And you and I will have a massive Bond podcast. It'll probably be a couple of podcasts because you and I were both deep in prep for No Time to Die last year when the pandemic happened. So yeah. Uh, well, I feel like it. I feel like that at least is one of my major accomplishments of 2020. I watched all the Bond films finally. Yeah. Like I can just now speak with authority on Bond. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean I think that movie looks spectacular. I really love the cast. I like the inclusion of Phoebe Waller Bridge. Bond movies are so hit or miss, so it could be terrible. But oh, it could be awful. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. There's something about it that I I'm just be I I think maybe it was just because we were so close to it happening that I was like. Oh, okay, yay! Finally, I get to see the Kiryu Fukunaga Bond movie, and then it was like, oh no, no, back to November. <laughs> yeah, then back to April, and likely back to November again. Probably back to November again. Yes, yeah, uh, which is just going to be very frustrating. Um, yeah, like you, I'm I'm super excited for the Bond movies. Um, A Quiet Place Part Two, I really want to see, but only when like everyone is vaccinated, because <laughs> like those kinds of horror movies are great in crowded theaters, and I want to see it in a crowded theater, but I don't want to be like, I don't want my mind also. You want to, thinking you want to be scared of the monster, not the virus. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so that's what that was another one that was like about to come out and then mm-hmm. it got pushed back. Um, I mean, James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie. It looks fun from what we've seen. You know, if, yeah, if he's just it, giving creative freedom to do whatever he wants there, it could be fun. Yeah, I'm sort of on the fence about any all of these HBO Max movies because... I don't know what their release strategy is going to be, like how much they're going to push into the theatrical space, even if it's like that's sort of the question that that hasn't really, I think, been raised. Is so like, let's say, you know, Suicide Squad is set for August and it has an HBO Max release. And like, let's say the coast is largely clear by August. How much will Warner Brothers invest in the theatrical experience if they're trying to build their HBO Max subscriber profile? My inkling is that if things are a lot safer by then, especially given the pushback on Dune, they're going to pull the HBO Max part or at least say 30 days in theaters only. And then it'll be on HBO right. Max for 30 days. But some kind of flipping that on its head thing, because I just don't like when things are back to normal. I just don't see those filmmakers being super cool with like, oh, no, 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 no. No one wants to stay home. And that's the other thing. Like these these films kind of contribute to a like I get that the monoculture has drawbacks but there is something exhilarating like we all saw this movie at this time yeah and we all talked about it like that's sort of the experience we had with like avengers endgame yeah you know we all had to see avengers endgame that weekend we all had to talk about it 
And like, then we were all so enthusiastic about it. Like, what was that? Oh, that was my favorite part. Oh, this is that, you know, like it, and I'm not, and that's not to hold up like Avengers Endgame is like the greatest movie ever made, but to say that like, when that kind of film comes along where everyone feels the need to see it and we can all talk about it, that feels way more fun than sort of the streaming environment that's just sort of kind of like, meh, I'll see it when I see it, you yeah. know? I'll get it, like, you know, I know, you know, Queen's Gambit was like a big hit. I haven't seen it yet. And I just like, I'll see it eventually, maybe. I don't know. Like, there's very little urgency on streaming, whereas theaters have a built-in urgency because it's going to be on the big screen for a limited time. And then something else is going to come along, you know? Whereas just like streaming is just like, here's a thing. It lives here forever. Goodbye. And so there's really like, I'll see it when I see it. Can you also like can you imagine like living through like if Avengers Endgame was on screen streaming, like just not having seen it, but then having to see all the memes and all the people talking about all the things at the same time. And so you go like part of the fun of it was sitting there seeing the screen cut to black and then it just says four years later. And you're like, none of this was in the trailer of five years later. Get it right. But you're like, none of this was in the trailer. I wasn't prepared for it. This is all brand new to me, and I'm experiencing it for the first time. I'm not experiencing it through someone's joke on Twitter or right. through like having seen a image or something, yeah, which well, is like, what I think would be frustrating about um, Black Widow going on. Uh, right. And that's how I experience like a lot of like TV shows. Honestly, I experience them through memes. Like I'm still like I'm I finished the first season of Succession, but I know in season two there's the Logan rap. You know, like, yeah. the, the, and I know that's, and that's like, look, that was a week to week show. People are more than welcome to talk about it. People don't need to shut up because I didn't, you know, watch something like, you know, it's by it's social, I'm on social media. I, I can take it. But at the same time, like that is like, I just have to accept the fact that like other people, the, the people that got to it first are going to like memeify everything as quickly as possible. Yeah. Like, there's no waiting period. That's kind of how I experienced the Mandalorian season two. Cause at a certain point I was like, there's no urgency here. There he's is gonna no urgency. <laughs> he's going like, to go and do someone a favor. There's going to be a set piece. And then, blah, 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 blah. so I was like, Oh, Bill Burr's in this episode. I'll get around to it. But yeah. yeah see. <laughs> cool. I'll see that, you know, sometime. I'm also, I mean, they, they looking at the release calendar. There aren't many dramas on there yet. And that's usually how it is. They kind of slot those in as they're finished. Um, but one that I'm very curious about uh, is the last duel which mm. could go one of two ways, but it is the first time that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have written anything together since Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Nicole Hall of Center is their co-writer. Ridley Scott's the director. It's Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Ben Affleck, and um, Jodie Comer. And I think, I mean, I don't know. It, it, and it's set in uh, 14th century France, which is exciting. The, the, the one hiccup is that it's about two best friends uh, who are ordered to fight to it to the death after one accuses the other of raping his wife. So it's a sexual assault drama with, you know, told through the eyes of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Ridley Scott. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I do like that. They were like, we should have a co-writer who is a woman to, you know, yeah. at least bring a female perspective here. But you know, all the you say that, there. but also like, you know, I mean, I've seen clips. I've seen clips of Project Greenlight where they're like, "Oh yeah, we invite these voices, and those voices say something." And Matt Damon's like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you." <laughs> I don't know. Like, for as problematic as it could be, there's something about it that that just seems very. It, it, 
it's very much my jam, except for one small, very big thing. <laughs> well, I, I'm interested because it's it brings Ridley Scott full circle. It's his yeah. first movie was The Duelists, and now it's The Last oh, Duel. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's funny. Something I expected to happen to come, like a movie that I expected to come out uh, in January or February, and it still might without warning. Is it just a new Clint Eastwood movie? <laughs> yes, I think he finished it right. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> he did one take of everything and then he finished and it's done and it doesn't he just crapped it out and like we all just sort of accept it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, they could just be like, oh yeah, this is on streaming now. So yeah, cool. here, here's a new Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to watch it. Which is a which is my reaction to the mule coming to HBO. And I was like, maybe I'll watch that. And then I never watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, you know, there and then there are other films. Like, I'm not saying like everything in 2021 looks fantastic. I mean, I'm not really looking forward to Clifford the Big Red Dog <laughs> or Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, or Adam's Family 2. Or, you know, it's you know, there's it's not they're not all they're not all, you know, grand slams, but there's stuff to look forward to. I mean, the How fact do you feel that, about the Uncharted movie? I think that's gonna be awful. <laughs> it's finally it's awful. Happening. I think, I mean, the fact of the matter, first off, it's one of those scripts that they tried to give to everyone and no one wanted it. No one could crack it. It kind of reminded me of like Fantastic Four, the remake of Fantastic Four, where they're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do what you want. And so they've been trying to get this off the the ground for years. And then they're like, okay, well, let's just make it younger. We'll make it an origin story so we can, because we have Tom Holland and he's a huge star and we can have him for longer in this role if it's a hit. And then we'll have Mark Wahlberg with like the, the mentor figure, Sully. And it's just, it, you know, and look, I don't, I'll put it this way. I'm more excited for the Mortal Kombat movie than I am for Uncharted <laughs> because at least that kind of knows how silly it is, I think, on some level, like it's Mortal Kombat. Whereas Uncharted, like it just feels like it's going to be like like a Tomb Raider movie. Like it's, I mean, the fact that the matter is, is like, oh, Ruben Fleischer will do a thing. And it's like, yeah, it'll do a thing. And then this will be, I don't know. It feels like a lot of built up to what will be a very forgettable movie. And yet, I don't know, there's part of me, I agree with you. And there's part of me that's like, yeah, I'd go see that in a theater just to be back in a theater again. Yes, to no, feel that's the thing. Something. There are movies that are just like, that I I guarantee you, and this will get thrown back in my face, but I don't care. I guarantee <laughs> you right now, there's going to be movie, the first movies we see in theaters are going to be graded on a curve. Yeah. Just like the sense of like, oh, to be back in a theater. Oh, what a feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and I, I mean, maybe that's not true because I saw Tenet in a theater and I still thought that was bad. <laughs> but like, I think just the the rest, the restorative effect, like I think, you know, Uncharted like would go from like a C to a B just being like, oh, to be back with people enjoying a movie. Well, something like Uncharted is a good example because it's not it's not like Christopher Nolan trying to like go up inside his own ass. Right. It's, like supposed to be a fun Indiana Jones-esque adventure. And so you're like, it's not really very as good as Indiana Jones, but like I was back in a theater again. Right. Exactly. Like there's sort of, there's going to be a bit of a curve and I feel like, you know, you'll, you might revisit these movies like in a year or so and be like, Oh, that wasn't very good. But, (laughs) and I'm totally fine with that. Like I'm totally fine being like, Oh, I was a little up on that one, well, but that's I don't the care. Thing. And, and that's the thing, like exper- personal experience always factors into like your mood. Like sometimes you see a movie and you're in a bad mood and like it, it kind of affects your viewing experience or sometimes you see it and you're in a great mood and it affects your viewing experience. Like yeah. that all, you know, that's part of what marketing is doing. Like 
yeah, they market a star. They, even though they know everyone's going to go see the new Star Wars movie, they market it like hell. So you're really excited and carrying a lot of good feelings into the Star Wars movie. Yeah. Like that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about one more? I, this wasn't, I should have brought this up before we started recording because you're going <laughs> to, this, this, this should come with a warning, but there's one 2021 release we haven't talked about yet um, that we should probably touch on. What is it? Snyder Cut. <laughs> oh, it's not a movie. It's not a movie. It's a miniseries. Limited you know, like, like Zack Snyder intended. He intended it to be a miniseries. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I, so I'm not entire, and I wrote an entire essay about this years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like, I would rather see Zack Snyder's vision of, of Justice League versus this studio Frankenstein version that was just like authorless and boring and whatever. Yeah. Like, give me Zack Snyder's pure unfiltered version. It might not be my thing, but at least it's his thing. Um, I feel like now the tables have kind of flipped. I mean, and I guess they said they could have a theatrical uh, release, but if like everything's coming back to theaters and it's like, do you want to stay home and watch the Snyder cut? I'm going to be like, no, I don't. I really don't. I don't want to sit on my couch and watch anything else. I want to go out to a theater and experience something on the big screen. So I don't know. I feel like if if it if this netter could have been released a year ago, I would have been a little bit more excited for it. And I am still very curious about it. But I just um, it's it's such a weird thing because it's sort of like it just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, like it was it it was sort of built up as sort of like this this thing exists and it's like oh also i need 70 million dollars to finish it well, <laughs> yeah. was it was it a thing or was it not you know it's like well really what it is is four hours it's like okay we'll slow down because no studio you know the studio would not let you release a four-hour movie yeah. that was never going to happen so what is this and i guess the, the argument is it is his complete unadulterated cut free from any sort of supervision except reshoots he couldn't get so again what is it which is so i'm I'm very curious and i'm with you like to me like the ultimate edition of batman v superman is better than the theatrical version because even though it was also unreleasable because it was rated r and like he knew that they wouldn't release that at least makes more sense than the theatrical cut so there's that it's interesting because years ago, you and I were like, the Snyder Cut is not going to happen because it doesn't exist. Because in order for it to happen, Warner Brothers would have to invest a significant amount of money. And they're not mm-hmm. going to invest a significant amount of money into something that is not like, you know, you're not going to put that in theaters and be like, here's another Justice League. What we didn't expect is that Warner Brothers would launch a streaming service. Launch that a streaming content, service. Which and is that there the would X be a factor. pandemic. Yeah, which is really the X factor here. And this is what I get frustrated of people like, oh, you said it didn't exist and you said it would never come out. It was like, well, under those circumstances, it seemed unlikely that Warner Brothers, like if the pandemic hadn't happened, uh, like and HBO Max didn't exist. I don't see Warner Brothers sinking 70 million dollars and then marketing and advertising money. So 100 million dollars to re-release a movie that was a failure. Also, what a weird thing to get people accept. It's like, how did you not see the Snyder Cut coming? I don't know. I didn't also see a pandemic coming, and I would be way more upset about yeah. the pandemic than the cut of the superhero movie. Yeah. If I can see into the but future, yeah, be upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> they they were clearly just like, we need more reasons for people to subscribe to HBO Max. $70 million is a lot of money, but that's an investment in right. future subscribers. So. Right. Exactly. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's supposed to come out in the spring. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, yeah, that will... ironically, that'll probably be out before theaters are like fully in swing. And yeah. 
that'll be man what a shit show that will be i mean just just <laughs> in terms of the environment where people like the people who are looking forward to it have this weird sort of revanchist kind of like they're already against us and it's like no one's against you no one gives a shit no, <laughs> no one cares either it's like they're against you they've already written their reviews against it it's like no they haven't no they just you're, I don't you're not have an a, opinion on the Snyder Cut because I have not seen this. Yeah, movie. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know it either way, but you're not an oppressed minority. Get over yourself. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, I, I'll, okay, I would say, yeah, so looking at 2021, it's going to be a weird year. And uh, as for this podcast, I don't think we're going to go back to, like, you know, pick a movie for us to see this week. Uh, we're going to try to be a bit more... Uh, focused. I mean, not that we, I mean, I enjoyed that very much, but I just don't want us to be, that makes the show into something that is not, I think. Um, there are other podcasts where it's like, we revisit old movies and we're not that podcast. So there'll be, and there, I think there'll be lots to talk about this year. Um, movies, movie wise, we were just sort of in a holding pattern before we, we knew what we were into. <laughs> um, but yeah, even say, this month, there's a new Jared Leto movie on HBO max, which is like a, Looks like a solid crime thriller from John Lee Hancock. So yeah, I, I mean, I, and he's apparently been trying to get it made for like twenty years. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll give that a spin. Um, to me, I'm more excited that it's a, movie, a new Denzel Washington movie because <laughs> he yeah. didn't ha- he didn't have a movie last year. I think um, his movie last movie I think was Equalizer. Yeah, or Fences. Yeah, I don't think so. He produced Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Right. So. right. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's talk about what's, what's your most anticipated film. Of- it might be yours. My most into, well, so most anticipated that came, that was supposed to be released last year. Okay. Most most, let's start with that most anticipated film that was supposed to be released in 2020. Okay. For me, that's last night in Soho. Okay. I have, a different, I have a different one. Although okay. I am very much looking forward to that one. Yeah. So, uh, as you can tell from the posters behind me, I'm a massive fan at Edgar Wright's work. Um, I just think he's a really meticulous filmmaker and every movie he makes is exactly the movie that he meant to make. And so to, and he's also like extremely knowledgeable about a bunch of film genres, but not in a like, Oh, I'm making just a pastiche, but in a, I can synthesize that into my own style. And so to see him tackle a psychological thriller, um, in the vein of like seventies films, uh, set in 1960s London, I think is just really cool. Um, and we admittedly have seen very little from it, but, Every new Edgar Wright movie is one of my most anticipated movies of whatever year it's coming out in. Uh, I think Baby Driver was a big swing for him. It was his first kind of non-comedic film. Like there were some funny moments in the first half, but it it really got serious, became like a serious action thriller in the second half. And I think he nailed it. Um, so I'm very excited to see him continue to push uh, kind of his own um, talents uh, into other avenues that he hasn't explored yet. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely very excited for for Last Night in Soho. Um, but uh, for me, uh, my most anticipated that was supposed to come out in 2020 is Eternals, just because I think Chloe Zhao is is yeah. kind of phenomenal, especially after seeing Nomadland and The Writer. Um, to see her try to take on a Marvel film, and I think we've seen, I, I think Marvel has earned the benefit of the doubt when they when they're working with an auteur that that auteur get, does get to leave a stamp on the material. I think we've seen that with James Gunn. I think we've seen that with Ryan Coogler. Um, I, I think Chloe Zhao will get to create a Marvel film that is her own. Um, it will still be Marvel-y. Like, it's going to be, like, you know, they're not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be set in the in the Southwest with people looking at, you know, vistas. <laughs> uh, but it's, I think it'll be its own thing, and I'm excited to see what that is. 
I am too. Uh, yeah. After watching Nomadland, I was like, I cannot wait to see what her Marvel movie looks like. Right. Exactly. Um, and knowing that her cinematographer on that film was the camera operator operator on Eternals. So like, I think there's going to be some consistency of her aesthetic there in some way. I mean, again, we haven't seen any official images or anything from that movie. So I really can't wait to see that. So what's your, what's your most anticipated 2021 film? It's hard because there's not a lot. It very much looks like they just like pushed the calendar. Sure. Um, I think so. Is is Nightmare Alley? Was it set for 2020 or was it? It never, was never. It never had a date. It was okay. never given a date. That that would maybe be my answer, which is Guillermo del Toro doing, uh, you know, film noir um, with a great cast like Bradley Cooper or Tony Collette. Um, but it's like a gumshoe kind of like noir story, yeah. right? It's sort of like a thriller kind of like. I mean, the plot is about this guy that's sort of a con man who tre- tre- who teams up with, uh, I think she's a mentalist. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and she's could be more dangerous than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's sort of a psychological thriller of sorts. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I'm looking forward to The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is Joel Cohen <laughs> without Ethan. It's a Cohen Brothers movie with no brothers. It's just Joel and it's Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand and they're doing Macbeth with Joel <laughs> Cohen. That's amazing. How it's amazing and like it's for like an audience of like 17. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I'm in that audience. I know. I'm I in that it. narrow cross section. Yeah. So it I'm sounds like, yeah. I'm super curious about that one. Like, what does a Cohen Brothers, you know, Macbeth adaptation look like? without one of the brothers. Right. They've never directed solo before. This would be the first time they've ever broken apart. It's not that they broke up. It's just, you know, Joel wanted to do this one on his own, I guess. Yeah. The way I asked Carter Brewell about it, because he's their longtime composer, and he said it was just as simple as Ethan didn't really want to do it. And so he was like, if you want to do it, you can, but I don't really want to do that. And he was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So... That's yeah, what they John, did. I'm super excited for it. That feels to me like one that if if Tiff is back up and running, that that could play at Tiff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah, same that with good. Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I mean, there are another there are a number of other like auteur driven, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's new film is supposed to come out. Hopefully um, got a new Baz Luhrmann movie. <laughs> what was the last Baz Luhrmann? Oh, it was Great Gatsby, right? It was Great Gatsby. One. And then he did the get down. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, his Elvis movie. Um, Taika Waititi has a new movie. That's yep, like a goal wins. Yeah, which should be fun. New Wes Anderson, French Dispatch. Yeah. New Andrew Dominic, the Marilyn Monroe movie. We're gonna finally. We were supposed to get it last year, but we're this year. We're gonna get the new La- David Lowery film, The Green Knight. Oh yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah well, I don't there, know. There's good indie stuff coming out. There is. Yeah. Assume, a presumably, who knows? <laughs> yeah, hopefully, and maybe we'll see something great at Sundance later yeah. this month. So. We'll let you know if we do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, with that, let's move on to recently watched. Uh, so I recently rewatched, I was just in the mood for like a silly, dumb comedy. And Matt always says he likes this movie. <laughs> and so I watched the vacation remake <laughs> again, <laughs> which I had only ever seen once. Uh, and like I half watched it and it's, I don't, I still don't think it's a very good movie, but there are two jokes in that movie. Is that one of them the rat fun. joke? The rat joke is not one of them. One of them is the bag over the head when the kids are in the back seat, when the son is like looking at the hot girl in the car next to it, and then his brother just puts a plastic bag over his head. 
<laughs> and then the other one is, and I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but the entire Charlie Day saga and like how that plays out and then how it ends with his character uh, just goes to places you didn't expect to go to. Um, there's a lot of good jokes. I mean, I like the whole four corners joke. Yes. That yeah. four corners standoff, I think is really good. I like it. I like it more than the original. I think the original is kind of mean spirited. Super mean. Uh, yeah. It's super mean. Um, I like I like the new one. I think it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I like those writers, directors a lot. John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Uh, I think Horrible Bosses is really funny. And Game Night, I think, is truly one of the best comedies of the last five or ten years. Yeah. So, yeah, what that's they, what I, I spent my weekend doing. I forget, what, are they, what are they doing next? They're assigned to, like, something big. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, that's what it yeah. is. That, Which is fitting I see, former Freaks and Geeks star. Yeah, I think that actually could be good with them overseeing it. And they've clearly wanted to do a big budget thing. I think Game Night was their like show of work. Like, yeah, look what we can do. They were this close to getting Spider-Man: Homecoming to direct, um, and then they were supposed to direct The Flash. And you know, they the became Flash one of the many people that <laughs> yes. that got dropped from The Flash. But I think they're really funny. They even wrote uh, like Incredible Burt Wonderstone is not a great movie, but I think it's got some really funny moments in it. Uh, yeah. The Jim Carrey, Steve Carell magician comedy that yeah. came out. What a like disappeared movie. It's Jim Carrey, Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi. And it just like and Olivia Wilde and Olivia Wilde. And it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I did the junket for that movie in Las Vegas. Yeah. Met David Copperfield. Oh, nice. Um. So I guess uh, for me, I watched um, I watched a few movies, but I, I, I guess I'll talk about Anastasia. Uh, my wife showed me the the 1998, I think it is, animated film, which is just it feels like a TV funhouse version of a 90s Disney film. Like it's like, ah, Disney is making these these really nice sort of musicals. Why can't we do that? And it's like, because it's hard, Don Bluth. And I know that Don Bluth has done good things like American Tale and, and things like that, but man, they missed the mark. Like the face, even not even the facial expressions don't look good. Like, like the love interest, like voiced by John Cusack, like he looks kind of sinister the whole film, even though he's the love interest. And, but it, its main problem is, is like, you're drawing from real history and it's sort of like romanticizing Tsarist Russia. It's just a very <laughs> weird place to start. Yeah. You know, it's it's not they never cracked the story for it. Most of the songs are bad. There's one good song. Um, yeah, the film doesn't work, uh, but it's kind of, a, I guess, an interesting failure for that time period. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. It's a weird movie. I'm sure Collider's own Drew Taylor would have a lot to say about that. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. he knows, I, I, he's told me some stuff about Don Bluth because he was at one point like an animation legend and then right, right. kind of fell off a bit. All right. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, uh, we're on all your podcast providers. So just seek us out. Uh, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.